Would you please turn with me to Luke's Gospel, Luke's Gospel chapter 13, Luke's Gospel chapter 13, verses 10 through 17 this morning will be the subject of our reading and my preaching, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. I remind you, this is God's holy, inerrant and infallible word. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we give thanks to you for your word. We pray that you would grant light to us by it. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us to greater conviction and deeper faith this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. There is an illness called kyphosis. It's a bent spine syndrome or BSS. And some of us have seen people like that. They are completely bent over at the waist. Uh, in a in a perfect L, um, maybe even in some variation, whether a, a 45 degree bend or a 90 degree bend, I have seen both. I have seen both. There's a man who comes to work out at the gym that I work out in, and he's at least a 45 degree bend, but he gets on the treadmill and he walks, and uh, I'll tell you, he engages in political conversation uh, vociferously. But we've seen others, and, and we've wondered about their suffering, bent spine syndromes, and, or perhaps a degenerative disc diseases, or developmental abnormalities, children bent over at the waist. There are lots of different diseases. There's, there's one, in fact, called Schurman's disease, multiple myeloma, myeloma. It could be any one of a number of things. This woman that we see in the text this morning, perhaps she's undergoing menopausal hormonal changes, age-related muscular loss, osteoporosis in some form. But for whatever reason, here's this woman gathered in the assembly of God's people on the Sabbath day, and she is bent over at the waist, and she cannot stand up. She is handicapped. We might say that she is she is disabled. She is physically motor challenged. She is struggling with a physical difficulty that is obvious to all. 
Now, the context of this woman and of her story is is that of bearing fruit. And those who are listening to Jesus are given an opportunity to exhibit a profitable experience of God's grace, to serve God rather than self. Here's an extraordinary moment in which those who who have heard Jesus may, may prove that they have taken to heart what they have heard to repent, to turn away from their graceless, self-regulated, self-created, empty religious system, and to serve the living God. That's the context. Well, the setting is, it's the Sabbath day. It's the day of worship. It's the day when God's people gather together. We know that in the early church, in the immediacy of Christ's resurrection, the church began immediately to worship On the Lord's Day, the day of Christ's resurrection, on Sunday mornings and Sundays throughout the day. And for us as Christians, that has continued uh, even into this generation and will continue until the coming of the Lord. It's the day of worship. It's the day set apart by the Lord to worship the living God. And there she is. And Jesus happens to be there on that particular Sunday She's teach, he is teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and we know that Jesus has had many opportunities to teach in the synagogues surrounding the Sea of Galilee. This will be the last time he will not teach again in a synagogue on a Sabbath day because those, those pulpits will be closed to him from now on because these religious officials hate him. And news travels, and they refuse to have him yet again. Well, there's a dramatic development as the Lord ascends and speaks before the people. As they sit and listen, there is a woman. Perhaps she's coming late. Perhaps because of her, 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 her handicap, she is struggling to get into the place. Perhaps she is struggling to get by people, to spread the crowds that she might be close enough to hear, to come into the area where she is permitted to listen. Jesus is teaching. And this woman, she is one of the least of the characters here in this passage. She is a woman, yes. She is a woman of humbling circumstances. She is a woman who is obviously has a physical deformity. We are told in the text that she has a disabling spirit. And that it was for the duration of 18 years. What a horrible condition for 18 years. It's very much like, uh, and, and this spirit, this disabling spirit, and later Jesus will say to the religious authorities that in fact it's Satan who has caused this illness, is behind her suffering in some way, at least as a secondary cause. So there she is, and she has a spirit that afflicts her, very much like the man who is in chapter 11, verse 14 of Luke's gospel, who is made mute by a spirit. And so during the time of Christ, we've said it before, there there was an extraordinary and unusual activity of demonic forces uh, intended, I believe, for displaying the wisdom and the, the veracity of what Christ said. 
Uh, certainly it belongs to the apostolic signs. We do not see the same demonic activity, at least in, in its, man, its physical manifestations, as, as we do during the time of Christ. Although we believe and we see that demonic activity is real, even in our time, though we may and may not see it, that Satan is just as active now, and desperately so, because the return of Christ is soon to be, at whatever time that may be. But she is bent over, and she could not fully strengthen herself. She could not. The language is clear, and Luke is Luke is a physician, and he wants us to know her condition. Uh, the doctor could not say, all right, now let me help you, and let's work the muscles, and eventually the individual is able to stand straight up after maybe a half an hour to an hour of, of dealing with those achy, bulky back muscles. No, she cannot straighten herself at all. This is a real deformity. There's, there's an intervention in this passage. Jesus, he sees her, he's speaking, he's teaching, he sees her, calls her over, says, limp over to me, come over to me, come here. And he says, woman, you are freed from your disability. He lays his hands on her, and she could not be made completely whole unless the Lord Jesus commanded it and unless he placed his hands on her. But once he did place his hand on her, she could not not be healed. She had to be healed. Well, the effect is she's immediately made straight. There's no, all right, now let's work the muscles. Let's get you up there. She immediately stands. It's immediate. The Lord never gives half measures. And the touch of Jesus Christ, the touch of the Son of God, does not yield a half measure. Jesus is no doctor who will use medicinal means to make you better in the moment. If he touches you, if he wills that you be healed, you will be healed. And that in an instant. Jesus is involved in all of our healings. He is involved in all of our mercies. When we go to the doctor and we receive the medicine, we take it and it makes us well. Who is behind that but our sovereign God who grants understanding to mankind and gives wisdom to our caregivers and enables our bodies to respond. There are plenty of people who do not respond to medicinal intervention. But oh, how many times the Lord has been willing that we should be healed, strengthened, respond well to to Excedrin, that our headaches would go away. The effect is simply she is made straight. She, This is what the Savior's touch can do. He's filled with potency and holiness and all things obey him, even bodily illness and irreparable conditions and unchangeable, impossible circumstances. The very molecules of the universe obey his touch, his word. There's a response. There are two responses, in fact, to this passage, uh, to this treatment, this immediate touch and this healing. The first is this woman. What does she do? She glorifies God. Now, no longer staring at the ground, she is standing, staring at the Savior, and she glorifies God. She is able, like Isaiah 40 says, to lift her head and to take in the stars and to glorify God. Finally, this woman can glorify the Lord. And to be frank, I don't believe that this is the first time she has glorified the Lord. Where is she? She's in the house of God. On the Sabbath day, 
Despite her deformity, she is in the house of the Lord and she is worshiping God. And now what she, like like Job, has said, I have heard of you, but now I see you in your glory. And she glorifies God. Well, there's a second response, and that is the ruler of the synagogue in verse 14. And he responds with regulation. He's irritated. He's angry. He's indignant, the passage tells us, because the crowd is responding to this woman and the healing that they have observed. And he says, wait, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. There are 39 regulations in the Mishnah surrounding the Lord's Sabbath day. All of them are man-made. There is no prohibition in the pages of Scripture that say that one cannot lay one's hand on an individual, that the eternal Son of God cannot put his hand on a woman and heal her, that the, the elders of the church, that the ministers of God, the religious authorities cannot come and pray with a sick person and ask the Lord's mercy. There is no prohibition whatsoever. He doesn't empathize with this woman. He doesn't sympathize with her. He doesn't offer thanksgiving. He doesn't rejoice. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't do anything. He's only indignant. That's the only thing that we're told in this passage that he responds with. And the Lord's response to him is to provide a comparative reasoning. Comparative reasoning is simply a comparison of two situations, one typically of a lesser nature, one of a higher and greater nature, but the one is used to prove the other. Two situations, there's, there's one that's uh, before us and, and, and there's one that's also that's, uh, that's hypothetical. And so Jesus says, don't you provide water for your donkeys, for your cattle, for your animals? Don't you do that on the Sabbath? Don't you unhitch their 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 leads from their from their their neck or their nose and bring them with that hitch over to the trough where there is water and you enable them to drink? Don't you do that? Don't you provide for them in the midst of a parched day? Hydration, a, a matter of survival and of thriving. Shouldn't, shouldn't an animal be shown mercy? And doesn't God, within the economy of the Sabbath day, hasn't he provided for that work? Yes. The clear answer is yes. God provides for such behavior, for such activity. The Lord has opened the way for this. And then the second argument, the greater example, the subject of a greater worth, a Jewish woman, a daughter of Abraham. What does that mean? It means simply that she's a godly woman. It doesn't just mean that she's a Jewish woman. It means that she's a godly woman. She's a believer. She's bound by Satan for 18 years. He had been permitted by the sovereign, living, loving God and Jesus asks, shouldn't she be released from this bond on the Sabbath day? Isn't, isn't this ultimately about the meaning of the Sabbath? Isn't it the works of acts and acts of necessity and mercy for service to the living God? She has glorified God. That's the end result, isn't it? Isn't that a good work? 
The purpose and meaning of the Sabbath was, was for this very purpose, to be released from the bond of Satan on the day most holy to the Lord, that the works of God might be displayed and the people of God might praise him, that the people who have experienced redemption would say so. The result of it is his adversaries are ashamed. The people rejoice. The only right response of people who have seen God's grace. There are four things that we learn from this passage this morning. The first of which is the wickedness of Satan. I want to I want us to make certain that we don't miss this. The wickedness of Satan. He had submitted this one. He had held this woman to an 18 year bondage of affliction. Now, he cannot do anything apart from the permission of God. He can do nothing without God's will. All that he can do is only and ever subject to the will of God. But he had kept this woman in bondage of affliction for 18 years. A demon does the bidding of his master. The spirit who lives within this woman has submitted this woman to it. Satan delights in causing human suffering. He rejoices in opportunities that inhibit the praises and glorification of God. He loves the misshapenness of human form. And he does bring this condition about by falsehood and wickedness he causes in all that he touches. The sin he encourages does no less. He specializes in creating empty human institutions and regulations that have the trappings of religion but which only oppress people and all that God intended to be good. He will use anything to keep you from worshiping the Lord. This woman's faith already had the victory. It did not keep her home. We'll say more about that in a moment. But he will use anything to keep you from worshiping God. and He will employ everything to drive a wedge of division between yourself and the Lord or to destroy your youthfulness for him. He'll use guilt and temptation and lust and fear and disability and illness and anger and bitterness and lies and pride and sickness. It is not true, we, got, we have to make sure that we say this, that it is not true that all illness is a result of sin. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 13 have clarified that fact for us. Illness occurs according to the will of God. Sickness is in this world a result of the fall of mankind. And nothing afflicts us apart from God's gracious fatherly permission. The things that we suffer are intended in God's good will, according to God's good will, that we would draw closer to him. Learn that nothing apart from him is should be our soul's pursuit. They increase our joy in the Lord. They increase our endurance. They strengthen our faith. They serve to glorify God. If we seek to improve them, use them for his glory, if we serve the Lord even in affliction, but Satan has done this. Satan is never able, he has never been the first cause of illness or human strife or difficulty or suffering. He never has been, nor is it true that you or I are, are sick or have cancer because Satan has caused it. No, that's not true. 
Satan seems in Scripture to have some freedom to cause some human suffering, but not all. But what he is enabled to exercise, he will. And he will do so that he might cause you and I to suffer, that we might lose our usefulness for the Lord. The second thing we see in this passage is the meaning of the Sabbath. In this church, on we have used the Lord's Day to worship the Lord, to move a dear friend uh, to once to Chicopee. We cleaned out his mother's trailer. We worked to provide a roof over the heads of a family of seven. We've moved other individuals. We've cleaned a, a member of the church's backyard. We've washed windows. We've clipped weeds. We've used the Lord's Day for many things. Acts of necessity and mercy and a day given to worship and prayer. This this disabled woman understood the use of the Lord's Day, the meaning of the Sabbath, the day of worship. She, She approached on that day with hope, with a certain measure of desire for comfort, a desire to worship the Lord. She's not angry with God over her condition. We don't, we don't hear that there is bitterness in her heart. We're not told that she is questioning God's goodness because she has experienced pain. She's grateful that she, despite her disability and maybe even the, the indignity of what she struggles and suffers with. Many of us have things that we're struggling with, things that cause us pain, but we're, we can easily hide it from other people. This woman could not. Completely bent over. All would see it. She is grateful that she can gather with God's people, hear his word, and receive what comfort she can. She has every reason to say, I am buffeted. I have been placed in a bond by Satan. I cannot gather with the people of God, and I must be excused from church. She doesn't say that even though she can only see the ground before her and not the people, even though she has to press between people to get in, she does it. She has every reason to say, I have an excuse to stay home. I, I, can't, I can't reasonably be expected to come and to worship the Lord. I, I, I don't know how anyone could expect me, despite my disability, to come. I'm just going to have to sit right here. If she were to do that, she would worsen her spiritual condition week after week after week after week. She has not permitted bitterness to take over her condition to lead her to anger against her God. She has not said, I cannot worship a God who has done this to me. She has not said, though she has said, though he slay me, I will trust in him. She's lifting her voice. She's. She's, though she can't straighten her back, she's participating in the means of grace. However challenging or horrible life may be, however afflicted you may find yourself, however egregious your circumstances or your condition, life and hope and comfort and help are found in the Lord's presence. It's there that he helps us, that typically the physician comes with healing in his wings. There is blessing in the worship of God that transcends the inconveniences of life and the disability and pain of your existence. How often have you come into the house of the Lord in the deepest of struggles and not found in some way comfort? 
and solace and help and encouragement. There is blessing, blessing in gathering together, blessing in seeking the Lord corporately. She loves God and his worship and his word more than she hates her circumstances. She is moved more by the word of God than she is inhibited by her pain. She is more provoked rather than to sit in her seat and suffer in silence and without the struggle and the pain of getting up and walking in such a way. She is more concerned and more moved by her zeal for the Lord. So that's why she is where she is. She loves God. She loves the worship of God. And she doesn't let anything get between herself and the Lord. J.C. Ryle has this to say about this passage. Now, what is the explanation of all of this? What is the reason why so few are like the woman of whom we read this day? The answer to these questions is short and simple. Most of them have no heart for God's service. They have no delight in God's presence or God's day. The carnal mind is enmity against God. The moment a woman's heart is converted, these pretended difficulties about attending public worship vanish away. The new heart finds no trouble in keeping the Sabbath holy. Where there is a will, there is always a way. Let us never forget that our feelings about Sundays are sure tests of the state of our souls. The woman who can find no pleasure in giving God one day in the week is manifestly unfit for heaven. Heaven itself is nothing but an eternal Sabbath. If we cannot enjoy a few hours in God's service once a week in this world, it is plain that we would not enjoy an eternity in his service in the world to come. Happy are they who walk in the steps of her of whom we read today. They shall find Christ a blessing while they live and Christ in glory when they die. The third thing we see in this passage is the wickedness of hypocrisy. This man, this religious ruler, the ruler of the synagogue, who knows what he is, who he is, what his name is? The Lord does. He believes that he can rightly forecast the weather and can understand the present time, as chapter 12, verse 56, in the Lord's indictment against these authorities says. He cannot, though, according to verse 57, even judge for himself what is right. He believes he knows the law, the, the law of God. He certainly knows the Mishnah. He judged that this woman's condition was a result of sin, according to verses 1 through 5 of our present chapter. They, in fact, tell him, we know. We know why human suffering occurs. He was a barren fig tree in whom there was no life, no produce, despite the proximity to the word of God. Think and fear for a moment this morning. Think about this man who is there within the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, within reach. Within reach, and he is not a believer. I know some of us think, well, you know, if I was there in that day and I beheld the things that they that we were, I was talking with a brother yesterday morning about this, and that if we saw the things that these people saw, I would have served the Lord with joy and gladness. I would have I would have followed the Lord Jesus Christ all my days. No, you wouldn't. 
It comes down to the internal and sovereign work of the Holy Spirit of God. No sinner will ever turn to Christ of his own volition. No one will ever come. And no one is good. And no one seeks after God, is the testimony of Scripture. Not one. God must change your heart. And this man is bearing fruit in his unbelief. Despite being in close proximity to the Logos of God, the Messiah, despite all of his religious practices and his privileges, despite his prof- 